Welcome to episode 28 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 3. Together, we are creating a library of stories. I am your host, Hamida, and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Listeners, our guest for today is a 26-year-old single mom. And the reason I say that up front is because up until now, in these 28 episodes, I've had five guests who are in their 20s. And it actually warms my heart to talk to them because they are so open, so clear. They say it all the way it happened. They allow themselves to be vulnerable. And they're clear why they want to do that. Because they've gone through trauma, they've gone through difficulties, they've gone through hard times. And they want to be able to share this with those who are in similar circumstances so that those who are in similar circumstances can understand how they got out of it so that they can apply those tools and those life lessons that my guests have provided to get out of their situation themselves. They've talked about various topics, some of which are episode six. Nikki talks about her mental disorders and her her um, depression, and she fully lays out about her struggles with them. Episode 14, Whitley speaks about dating abuse and dating rape. Episode 23, Sophia talks about how she had to leave her dance school because she was experiencing intense PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And it warms my heart that they are so bold about sharing these stories with everyone for everyone else's betterment. Today's guest is one such person. Everyone, let's welcome Jacqueline Davis. Jacqueline, welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. I am so excited to have you on the show. Listeners, this is Jacqueline's very first interview on a podcast, and I am so happy that you've chosen my podcast to be your first, Jacqueline. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Please do tell us something about yourself. Hello, hello. I am Jacqueline Renee, and I am a 26-year-old mother living in Virginia on my professional side. I work in procurement, and I started a podcast called A Parting Gift Podcast about two months ago, and it really just chronicles my life, my traumas, and how I really did the internal work to heal and grow myself through all of that. Great. And we are going to have the link to that podcast in the show notes for this episode. So listeners, please do listen to Jacqueline's podcast if you like her story. So Jacqueline, tell us your story. (laughs) Fun. So a lot of my childhood traumas really started when I was about six or seven. My mother, she immigrated from Scotland. So when she came over here, she was alone. She married a man that was in the military, which is my father, and he was always on deployment. So she was alone raising the kids. She didn't have any support. I believe that's what led her to become an alcoholic. She started drinking and that's when the neglect happened. She drank a lot. The house was dirty. We had roaches. We spent time alone. We were raising ourselves and 
I think the sad part was that I really don't know where my little sister was in all of this. And that's very scary for me. How old was your little sister, Jacqueline, at that time? At this time. So that's so young. Anything could have happened. And it breaks my heart because I was only about eight. But I didn't have that motherly instinct. So I didn't know that I needed to care about where my little sister was. It's not on you, Jacqueline. Yeah. And I I look back and I try not to blame myself for anything. But thankfully, we're all alive and well and healthy now. But what I didn't realize was the community really came together during these times and helped us. No one spoke on what we were dealing with. No one tried to pry or ask questions. Like we each had our own family that we went to, which were our friends' families. And they fed us. They let us stay the night whenever we needed. And to us, it just seemed like we had really good friends, honestly. (laughs) Um, My dad would come back from deployment and he would, that's when the relationship really started spiraling. He would get angry that she would spend the money on alcohol. There would be no groceries and the house was just filthy. And that's when he started realizing what was happening while he was gone. I remember the last deployment, he came back for good and he went on shore duty And that's when the abuse, as far as their relationship goes, they had a very abusive, toxic relationship. They started putting hands on each other. And we saw that. But in that time, it was normal. I I would see my parents fist fighting and I would just kind of go to my room. My dad's commanding officer, because he was in the military, told him, you need to remove yourself from the home or you're going to lose your job. And he was the sole breadwinner at that point. So he needed to work. Mm -hmm. So he removed himself from the home. And that's when that sense of family really just left. He would come around occasionally and he would drop off food and he was doing everything he could because although my mother had us, that's when she started putting her hands on us and abusing us. And we still didn't have food in the house. And that's when it really got worse. And the community really came together. That's when they knew things were bad, like things were bad before them, but this is when it just started really getting bad. And everyone knew that my mother was putting her hands on us as well. CPS got involved and my mother at that point just took it upon herself and went to New York City with her girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. That hurt me because I was like, you're my mom and you just left us. So my father ended up getting full custody of us and things started looking up. He unfortunately had to work two jobs to recoup all of the cost of the divorce and everything that he was going through with my mom. But our house was clean and we were still just taking care of ourselves almost, but we had food and we had our dad there. So things were fine. How old were you now, Jacqueline, at this point? I was about 10. So a lot of the the downfall, it was just about a year, honestly, that we lived through that. And things started getting a little better. My dad actually had full custody of us at this point. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that is for a father to get custody of all his kids. So that was great. He would occasionally then date different women and I would get excited and get attached. And then something would happen and they would break up but he had this one girlfriend. And although I didn't like her, I was 13 at this point. So three years had passed since Mm -hmm. we had been with my dad. I didn't like her because I was a teenager and I didn't want anyone replacing my mom. But I liked the fact that we looked like a family unit. So I, I took to her. Although she came in and she was 
I don't know. She was pretty, pretty toxic. She tried to fight me. She tried to fight my sister, but I still was, you're kind of like a mom to me. So I liked it. In the beginning of their relationship, my dad got diagnosed with cancer mm. and it was terminal stage four. It was um, metastatic lung cancer. So we knew that was going to take him eventually. We just didn't know when. So we ended up moving to the suburbs into a nice house. It was the stereotypical thing you see in movies. And it was just a great thing. It made me forget what my father's fate was. And again, I loved the family unit. We were going on family vacations, like things that I really didn't get to experience with my mom. Mm -hmm. And right at the peak of it, like when we were just kind of operating like a well-oiled machine, like we were all doing well in school, we were having extracurricular activities. It was just great. That's when my father's health really started declining. And I still didn't want to deal with it. I was like, nope, my dad's still going to be here. And that's just me suppressing it. And I was holding on to the last glimmer of that sense of unity and family. So I didn't want to face it. And he ended up really getting bad my senior year of high school. That's a very monumental time. And that's when I, I felt like I really needed to have a parent because I'm college, learning about credit, getting a car, like things that I didn't even know what to do. Like I didn't know how to do that. So I was definitely dreading it. So my father's girlfriend at the time started being neglectful towards my father. She wasn't helping him in the way that I felt like a partner should. She was trying to marry him on his deathbed. And I'm not going to make assumptions as to what her motivation was, but it didn't sit right with me. So I skipped my senior year, a lot of it, to make sure, one, that she didn't marry my father, mm-hmm. and two, that my dad was actually getting cared for. Like, because she wasn't taking him to the bathroom, she wasn't showering him. That was all things that I had to do for my father. It got to a point where my father's sister was just like, you know what, Jacqueline, you're a 17-year-old girl. Like, you can't have this all on you. And you need to go to school. Right. That's one thing you have to do. So she came and picked him up and there was a lot of legal issues. We found out my father's girlfriend wasn't paying any of the bills. She opened up joint accounts and was switching money to her accounts. I think in my mind, I thought once my dad passed, we would still be able to live in the house. She would be like that mother figure. So to see if she was doing all of this behind our backs, I was ticked. I was so angry. So when my father's sister picked my dad up, that was the end of their relationship. There was no dad's girlfriend anymore, and she moved out of the home. Okay. So it was just my sister and I in the house for my dad's final days. And once he passed, we had to leave the house. And during all this time, I was surrounded by family, like for his funeral and just getting together to try to figure out stuff. But I felt so lonely because I knew that my dad was the link that kept not only my immediate family, but like my extended family. And I knew once that was gone, it was like that sense of me having like that stable family was gone. And I got so angry. In fact, my dad's funeral, after we buried him, I left. Hmm. I didn't want to be around anyone because I looked at everyone with their immediate families, their husbands, their kids. And I was just like, Where is mine? Yeah, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. And my mother was there at the funeral, but I I started having resentment towards her because I was like, 
how could you leave us? How could you divorce my dad? Even though they had their own issues, I was being selfish at this time. But I was like, how could you do that? Like we could have had that family still, we would have had to grieve together for the loss of my dad, but I felt like everyone was just grieving alone. So I really started spiraling when I realized like, I went through graduation and I just felt alone. Like I would look around and I saw people's parents having posters of them. And I was just like, I don't have that. And so I lost sight of what my future was going to look like because of that. I didn't go off to college. I started taking to my trauma. I just, I let it overcome me and I was okay with it. I wanted to be miserable, honestly, because I said, this is my life. And I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to lose my dad. I didn't ask to have an alcoholic mother. So I was really feeling bad for myself. So I got diagnosed with depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and I had a lot of, I had panic disorder, and I medicated with that. And I think during that year, I don't remember anything because I was so medicated. And I was living in a random state alone. I, I isolated, that's what I do. And then that's when I really realized like, this isn't okay. Like I still have a family. I had people reaching out but I was so fixated on the fact that I technically didn't have anyone to care about my well-being. That's, this is what I told myself. This is a lie I told myself. That I didn't have anyone that cared about where I was, what I was eating, how I was feeling, what I was doing. So when people would reach out, I would just isolate. And I started self-sabotaging. And that's the point where I was like, this isn't what I want. And this isn't the life that I envisioned for myself. So that's really when I got myself off of the medicine because I felt like that was kind of a cushion for me. It worked in the interim, but I felt like it didn't allow me to actually do the work to get through what it was that was triggering my anxiety and my depression. So I got myself off of it. And it was hard. Jacqueline, before you go any further, I just want to ask you this, because you did have a really rough childhood. Oh, yeah. What? So you did want to get to the root cause, and you did say you wanted to get off the meds. Yep. When you did try to find the root cause, did you find it, and what was it? Ooh, I think that the root cause, because even though I had the childhood traumas with my mother, I think the main cause that took me into that spiraling episode was losing my dad. Hmm. And I struggled with a lot of regret after. I felt like a lot of my father's passing was kind of my fault. I wasn't there for him. He was calling out to me. I had reoccurring dreams that really messed with me. And I stuck on that. And I didn't want to fully accept that my dad was gone because I felt like accepting it meant that I was just going to move on with life because I got angry at other people. I got angry that they went back to normalcy and I was here struggling every single day, but I was making myself miserable. So doing the work, not necessarily my childhood traumas yet, that was, I was chipping away at that eventually, but really working to accept that my dad was gone. It was going to happen eventually and nothing I did made that happen. And I think that adopting that mindset helped me a lot. And then I started chipping away 
at my mother because I hated her at this point. And I know it's a strong word, but I hated her. And now I have a great relationship with her. I've learned to accept her and all her flaws. And I love her for who she is, not for what she's done. So that was like the biggest shift in me. That is huge. After everything that you went through, to be able to accept and forgive her is huge. So kudos for that. I was only 18, so I'm very proud. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So after I did that, that's when I applied to my dream college. I got in, which was a big, big deal. I was still depressed at this point because I was alone and I felt like I didn't have my father to move me in. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. When I was broke, I was actually broke. (laughs) Like I didn't, I couldn't call my dad and say, Hey, can you pay my rent this month? Can you send me a hundred dollars for groceries? So I really had to work. I worked two jobs to get myself through college, but that helped me keep on track because I realized that if I slipped up, it was gone. I didn't have that backbone, but that was the motivation. So I went through college, I went on to graduate, I have a kid now, and I still struggle every day, but I made it a conscious effort to lean on the people that were there because I had people that took me in, I had people that checked on me, they did everything that I felt like a family did for me, although they weren't blood. And me accepting that because I wanted it to be my blood family, but family isn't always your blood. That's so true. Yeah, that was my biggest thing because I would shut them out because I'm like, this. I'm not your responsibility, but it takes a village sometimes. And I had people looking out for me, but I didn't accept anything from them because I'm like, I feel like I'm a burden because I'm not your responsibility. So I didn't ask for help. And Jacqueline, those are the kind of people I call earth angels. And I've had this theme going all through my podcast in various episodes because I've had so many people talk about stories where it wasn't their family. It was somebody else, a stranger, a family friend, a a cousin, a relative. And those are what I call the earth angels that get you out of the lows that you are in. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people didn't even really know that I was at a low because I, my depression I overcompensated. So I was happy. I was partying. I was like hanging out with people. So I don't think people really know. And that makes me appreciate the people that did help me. Mm -hmm. I was in the trenches, honestly, mentally I was there, but I didn't act like it. So for people to give a, a helping hand during those times when they may not have really known that I was in the trenches, I will forever be grateful for them. And I still talk to them to this day they're my family. I feel like they're my aunt and my uncle. And like to people, when I introduce them, like, I'm like, this is sometimes they're my mom or like, they're my dad. And not that I'm trying to replace them, but that's the figure that they took over in my life. And I really wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. I really wouldn't. So Jacqueline, for everything that you've gone through, which you've gone through a lot, tell us what are the life lessons that you would like to share with the listeners? Someone told me something a while ago and they told me all you have is all you need. I didn't know what that meant in that time. And I don't think I appreciated it until a few years later, but instead of me, because what I was trying to do is I was trying to replace everyone in my life because I isolated, I was trying to make new relationships. So in that time, I 
kind of reflected and I looked at the people that were the pillars that really helped me through everything that were there because people always said, oh, we're here whenever you need me. We're here. And some people just say that, but they're not really there. So I looked at the people that were really there and I tried nurturing those relationships because those were the people that I needed. And you can apply that to every other aspect too. Like when I started my podcast, someone told me all you have is all you need. And I had somebody give me a microphone. I had a person that knows how to actually edit podcasts. I knew a person that was working on podcasts as her job. So your circle is all you need, honestly. And I would say another thing that I took from it is, again, I've said it before that your family doesn't always have to be blood. And your family are actually there for you through thick and thin, and they want your best interests at heart. And that's my whole thing. Like I had fake, like superficial relationships where people acted, they just wanted access to me. They dabbled in and then they dabbled out and they just depleted my energy. They took a lot from me and I didn't need people taking from me. I needed people pouring into me. Right. So my village, like I needed them really. And I think that again, all you have is all you need. And that's still something I apply every single day too. And Jacqueline, to the people that were giving to you, did you feel like did, there was a give and a take or were they just giving you selflessly without expecting anything from you? <laughs> so again, I had a self-sabotaging, like a lot of episodes actually of doing that. So they give selflessly, but I waited and I would look for ways for them to make me feel like a burden or for them to look at me to give them something. And I would actually like flee. I was very impulsive and I would leave. So I was living with a family friend and I felt like I was a burden to them, even though they let me stay there. They didn't ask me for anything at all, but I told myself that I was a burden. And so I left. I just left and they were so confused, but I ended up coming back. But that was me telling, it's a lie that I was telling myself. And so how did you get over that? For people who are doing that to themselves, who are self-sabotaging and self-doubting, to tell them, how did you get out of that? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I still struggle with that because I don't like asking for help. And that's the biggest part. I've gotten better. But what I got through is that there are people that really want your best interest at heart. And I had to realize that when somebody is offering and they keep offering and they keep wanting to be that pillar in your life, they probably want to actually be there. Like they're mm -hmm. not telling that. And I started looking at people's actions more than words. And I think that's what helped me to realize and really weed out the people that were actually there for me is if they took an action to be there for me, not just tell me. I don't like asking for help, but I want people to take that initiative and again, I still, I'm still working through it. Honestly, it's tough because I'm alone a lot of the times. So Jacqueline, what you're saying is you don't like to ask for help, mm -hmm. but indeed you do need the help. And so going back to my episode number 21 and the life lesson there was, there is no shame in asking for help. Mm -hmm. So if you need the help and there are people who want to give it to you, take it. And the best thing is pay it forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I think 
I fear rejection a lot. So if I reach out, that's my most vulnerable state, asking for help. And if I get rejected, then I feel like I'll never ask for help again. And so that that's, it's terrible. I'm trying to work through it and I've gotten a little better, but I like that life lesson that you just gave me. So I, I would actually ask you to listen to episode number 21. Oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this was great. Uh, is there a last message that you would like to give to uh, the listeners? I would just like to tell everyone that if you're even going through something like this or someone, just be a pillar in their life. Some people, if they're like me, they won't ask for help. The signs may not even be there. They might seem normal, but just check in with your people. Even if they seem happy and well and healthy, just check in because that's what I needed. I just needed somebody to check on me. That's a beautiful message. And that's all sometimes what people need. They're not looking for anything huge. Just checking on them. Hey, and especially at times of COVID, when people are so isolated and can't even meet up with their friends and family, just calling them and checking in on them is the best you can do at this time. Oh, yeah. And people are facing things that they probably distracted themselves from. You're at home and you're really having to face it. So people are going through things right now, for sure. Jacqueline, thank you so much for that story. Uh, It it was heart-wrenching, but I am so glad that you have come to terms with many, many things in your life. And it was also nice to know that you are back to being in a good relationship with your mother. So... Good luck with that, and thank you again. Thank you. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this dialogue that I had with Jacqueline as much as I enjoyed talking to her. What made my day was the spontaneous circular learning that occurred towards the end of the discussion, where not only were we as listeners learning from the life lessons that she was sharing with us, but she too graciously accepted the um, life lesson as a way of learning for herself from one of my past episodes. And that is pretty neat. Additionally, here are a few things that I personally got out of my discussion with Jacqueline. One, actions speak louder than words. Two, all you have is all you need. Three, family isn't always blood. Sometimes it is about who is there to hold your hand and support you when you need them. Four, and this is Jacqueline's final message to everyone, be a pillar in someone else's life. You may not know how much it means to them, but you heard from Jacqueline that it meant a lot to her, especially when it came to her when it was most needed. That brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring another episode of Sharing Life Lessons to you next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.